Hello and welcome to episode two of The Amp. For those just joining us this week, The Amp is the brand new podcast from Ampere Analysis, bringing you the latest business insights, talking points and research from industry experts in the global media landscape. In this episode, Research Director Guy Bisson will be talking to Fred Black about how the virus has impacted commissioning, exploring the innovative approaches we've been seeing as show formats adapt to the current lockdown. Then, Research Director Richard Broughton is joined by Daniel Gadher, discussing how the economic implications of the pandemic are likely to affect both content expenditure and global sports rights. Finally, Hannah Walsh sheds light on the proposed decriminalisation of the BBC licence fee, outlining Ampere's latest research on alternative funding models. To conclude, Hannah explains how the current events may ultimately shift public perception of the UK's national broadcaster. You can subscribe to The Amp on Acast or find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To keep up to date with the latest industry analysis, stay ahead of the curve with The Amp Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second Ampere podcast. This week, we're going to be hearing from a number of analysts and drilling down into the content market. I'm Guy Bisson, and I'll be speaking to Fred Black, an analyst in our commissioning team, about what's been happening since the outbreak of the virus in terms of content getting made and commissioned. So, Fred, you've been looking at commissioning trends since the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus. What sort of things have you been picking up? So if we look at the group of the top 25 commissioners across the world, we've actually seen very little change in terms of the number of commissions being made um, during the last few weeks. The real change has really been in the types of content that they are able to produce. So scripted commissions, for instance, have really fallen away. Most people are unwilling to sort of give somebody an entire series order when there's no studio space, there's no possible way that content's ever going to get made. Um, in the near future, at least. Unscripted commissions in kind of an opposite trend have actually been increasing over the same period, with a lot of entertainment and documentary titles being commissioned on the topic of the virus itself. So we've seen a fall in scripted commissions of around 50% on the same period last year, but an increase in unscripted commissions of around 60% on that same period. And you mentioned there the top commissioners, but have you seen any change in the terms of who is actually commissioning content? Yeah, so the largest commissioners right now are the public service broadcasters. They're creating um, kind of public service content that's supposed to be either informative on the virus or to entertain people who are um, predominantly stuck indoors right now. This is where most of those entertainment and documentary shows I mentioned are coming from. More negatively, commissioning is proving a bit of a struggle for some of the cable commissioners out of the U.S., and also at the new SVOD services, uh, where the impact is likely to be particularly severe as they don't have a history of commissioned content to fall back on if they can't produce any more content. Clearly, while we're in lockdown, actually making programmes is is problematic. What what sort of innovative uh, approaches are you seeing to show formats while we are stuck in lockdown? So the biggest innovation that we haven't seen before is the use of video link technology um, to be able to broadcast directly from, in particular, celebrities' homes during uh, entertainment talk shows and kind of live musical performances as well. That's been a trend both in terms of ongoing shows, as you've probably seen from the likes of the late night shows in the US, but also in new formats as well, especially around 
musical performances from big name acts performing from their own homes. There's also been a number of shows that are trying to coordinate members of the public singing from their balconies and windows, a phenomenon I'm sure we've all seen on the internet, uh, but trying to coordinate that by getting them to sing along with somebody on the TV. So everyone in Denmark, for instance, are supposed to be singing at least the same song both morning and evening, along with a presenter on the public broadcaster. In documentaries, an interesting trend we've seen has been towards using uh, self-shot footage by the subjects of the documentary. So, for instance, at Channel 4, we have titles in production where they are recording recordings from people in lockdown, people suffering from the virus itself, and also NHS workers at, uh, working in hospitals. This content obviously is then packaged and put together by a factual production company. So we're in the middle of a, a almost global production halt. Um, what's the outlook for recovery in your view? Really, until the social distancing measures, but as you say, we've seen kind of globally um, start to be lifted. There's no serious prospect of shooting any new premium scripted content in particular. Uh, what that means is that when these measures are lifted, we're likely to see quite a serious bottleneck. A lot of studio space is booked up months or even years in advance um, and projects booked to shoot, for instance, in the autumn, if, when that, if that's when we start to return to normality. They're unlikely to want to give their spots to shows that we're due to be shooting right now, but obviously can't. Um, and we see the same kind of bottleneck with the calendars of talent as well, who are also often booked up months or years in advance. So there's a possibility that the projects uh, that we're supposed to be shooting right now are going to end up in a kind of indefinite limbo, waiting for all the calendars of the studio space and the talent to sync up again to be able to shoot those shows. Well, I suppose the good news in in there is that um, by Q3 or Q4 this year, hopefully we'll be back to normal production. Thanks very much for that, Fred. I'm now going to hand over to Richard Broughton, who's going to speak to Hannah Walsh and Daniel Gatter, both from our content markets team. Thanks very much, Guy. Hi, this is uh, Richard Broughton. I'm going to start by chatting with my colleague Daniel Gatter about what is happening with regards to content spending and whether we're likely to see significant impacts on the content market as a consequence of some of the changes in the commissioning that we've heard about from Fred and Guy and of course, in the economics of the market. And then I'm going to talk to Hannah Walsh a little about what's happening with the BBC right now and its funding models. I'm going to turn to Daniel first. Um, Daniel, you and your team have been reviewing both the advertising forecasts and the impact that the downturn and expected financial uh, downturn is likely to be having on broadcaster income, but also the knock-on effect and the likely impact on content expenditure as a consequence of this um, what can you tell us about the likely effects of the, the ad slump on content spending? Yes, thanks. Hi, Richard. So as, as was discussed on last week's podcast, the TV ad market, um, in fact, the ad market as a whole faces a significant downturn over the next several years uh, as a result of the coronavirus crisis. Now, the decline in this important revenue stream for, for broadcasters and for platforms has the potential to negatively impact their ability to invest in content. So what myself and the team has been doing is to help give us an indication of what this impact could be, is we've taken a look at the 2009 financial crisis, uh, trying to analyze there what happened to content expenditure to give us any clues on what could happen this time. And what we found was that, in fact, content expenditure has shown uh, particular resilience to economic downturns, even among ad-funded broadcasters. 
Um, so when we look at this in comparison to, say, the declines that we're likely to see in advertising revenues, um, this has been uh, to content expenditure uh, to a much lesser degree. So, for example, during the 2009 uh, financial crisis in the U.S., content expenditure actually continued to grow. It was up year on year from, from 2008 by 3%. Now, although this was slower growth than in 2008, it is important to remember that this was still growth. And when we compare this to what happened in the TV advertising market during 2009, which was a decline by 11%, it really helps to highlight how the spend uh, was actually able to maintain through that period. The UK is another example of that. And um, we can see how content investment there was actually impacted. We have a lot of commercial broadcasters uh, in the UK, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, uh, which would be impacted by the downturn in TV advertising. Uh, so in the UK market, that actually dropped by 11%. But again, content expenditure, uh, although dropping by 2%, was impacted again to, to a lesser degree. So you've, you've drawn, drawn some parallels to the, the financial crisis there and the downturn in the advertising market and the fact that content spending powered through almost regardless. Um, but as we've heard from Fred and Guy, this time there are lockdown measures in place that are influencing the very production or dissemination of content. So, I mean, I guess what, what's different this time in terms of how you'd look at the market and the impact on spending? Yeah, I think the first key difference to understand is the difference between the 08-09 financial crisis and this one was that back then that was a failing of the underlying financial institutions. Now, that led to a long period of global economic hardship. Now, we're not seeing that in this case. This has been a result of a pandemic. Um, but what that has resulted in, as you've pointed out, is the shutdown of um, the industry. So we're seeing long periods of hiatus from production uh, points of view. What this could mean, though, is that we are likely to see more uh, immediate bounce back following the crisis from both an advertising and a content expenditure point of view. Uh, productions will be able to kick back into action uh, much quicker than, say, what happened in 2009. So with the wide-scale shutdown and the, and the lockdown provisions that are in place around the world, as, as Fred and, and we've talked about a little bit already, this has resulted in the postponement of new shows, uh, the delay of commission shows, uh, but also to shows such as serial shows like um, reality TV shows that are produced on an on a episodic basis week by week. They've seen an immediate stoppage. But again, a positive from this following the crisis that they will actually be able to resume much more quickly. For the short term, however, this does result in gaps in schedules. Um, and again, from a content investment perspective, there is an opportunity here. Broadcasters will be looking to fill those holes and may look to acquire back catalogue content from content producers uh, to fill in those holes. And finally, the other sort of key area of content expenditure uh, that has been impacted from these lockdowns is that of sports rights. Sports leagues and events uh, all over the world have seen postponements, rescheduling or, or cancellations. So that could also have a, a wide ranging impact on the industry. So let's let's pick up on the sports point there, because that's um, that, that sports events have been some of the most prominent events impacted by the coronavirus crisis that they've been postponed. The, the Olympics has been moved to next year. Um, what are your views on the likely scale of that impact? Um, on content spending um, and what, what's your outlook for the next year or so? I think one of the first things to understand is actually the significant levels of inflation to sports rights that have happened over the last decade. Um, many of the major leagues around the world have seen the broadcasting rights increase in value, not, uh, including the Premier League, the Bundesliga and many of the US leagues as well. 
In fact, in 2019, we estimated globally that the sports rights broadcasting um, contents expenditure was around $40 billion. And to that point, we've seen, as you say, many of these events uh, this year go into pause or be rearranged, such as the Olympics, the Euro Championships. Major leagues around the world have all seen postponements. However, many of the major leagues around the world have continued to emphasize that this is just a delay and that they're looking to complete the seasons later in the year. Now, some pretty important leagues have, have seen cancellations already, and this will have an immediate impact on um, sports broadcasting rights as broadcasters look to get compensation for this. Now, if the crisis was to continue the lockdown to ensue further out into the year, uh, we may well see further cancellations of the major leagues. Now, this is where we will start to see some of that significant impact. For many of the European soccer leagues, uh, which hold very high rights values, there is still between 23 to 27% of the season left to play. In the US, major leagues such as the NHL and NBA are also at similar levels of the leagues to be played, plus the additional games for playoffs. What this means, were if the leagues were to cancel um, throughout this year, we were looking at that 23 to 27% of the leagues left to play. This could equate to approximately 8 to 9 billion in sports rights being lost altogether. However, as we've said, this does look very unlikely at this stage as the leagues and events have committed to complete their current seasons. But that's what the worst case scenario may look like. Thanks very much, Daniel. That was very interesting. And I suspect heartening news for a number of producers and content suppliers out there who are concerned about the effects that a downturn in the ad market would have on their businesses. So I'm going to chat with Hannah now about the future of the BBC. Now, Hannah, the BBC's funding model is under review at the moment since the new government came into power at the end of last year in the UK. What can you tell us about that process and what's what's happening? Yeah, so the government launched the decriminalisation consultation on the 5th of February of this year, um, and it actually closed on the 1st of April. So what this is doing is uh, looking to change the penalty for the licence fee evasion from a criminal offence to a civil offence. So instead of in the most drastic situation um, being imprisoned for not paying your licence fee, that is after you've uh, refused to pay the fines and so on, it will be a civil offence. So a penalty more like if you were to avoid paying your electricity bill, for example, Um so that consultation has now closed and the government are due to issue their response for that this summer. So as I understand, there are a few elements to this. There's, there's the decriminalisation proposals, which are ongoing at the moment. And there are then questions about what other funding models could theoretically replace the licence fee longer term. Now, if we start with the decriminalisation, because that's the more imminent uh, of the decisions, What's your view on the likely effect of decriminalisation of the licence fee on the BBC? Mm -hmm. So the current level of evasion of the TV licence fee in the UK is 6.6%. Um, what we would expect if the decriminalisation of licence fee was to pass would be that a higher number of households may choose to risk not paying for their TV licence, um, so therefore the evasion rate will increase. This obviously has a knock-on effect for the BBC, as it currently generates £3.7 billion of its income from the licence fee revenue. So if there are less people paying the revenue, there's less income for the BBC to then spend on TV content, online content, as well as distribution costs, development and so on. Um, would you expect a, a significant loss in revenue? I mean, are there any um, 
are there any benchmarks we can draw on to understand what decriminalisation might do to evasion rates? Yeah, of course. Um, I've explored three scenarios of uh, the impact of decriminalisation of licence fees. So scenario number one would be the evasion rate increases to 14%. So about double the current UK evasion rate and the current level of TB licence evasion in Ireland. So the impact of this would be a loss of £300 million. That equates to the cost of the entire BBC World Service. So if this was to occur, we may see a loss of that service or potentially a reduction in BBC World Service as well as other services. The second scenario is 25% evasion rate. So the level of TV licence fee in Italy before the Italian government decided to tackle licence fee evasion by including the licence fee into a household electricity bill. In this situation, it would lead to loss of £700 million. Now that equates to what the BBC spends on its radio services and its online services combined. So again, we would potentially see a loss in service there. And the third and most drastic scenario is evasion rate rising to 65%. So that's the level of evasion in Poland back in 2012. Um, It has actually risen since then. But in this scenario, um, we would see a loss of £2.3 billion. That equates to the total expenditure on TV content, radio services and the BBC's other services, which they encompass development and performing groups and so on. So a huge loss would be seen from that decriminalisation of the licence fee. So, so there are obviously significant potential downsides to decriminalisation. So with that in mind, I know a number of different models are being explored and indeed are used by other public service broadcasters in Europe and beyond um, to, to ensure that funding remains stable um, and sustainable. You've been looking at a few of the possible alternatives for the BBC. What, uh, what, what are they? I've explored four alternative funding mechanisms for the BBC. The first being advertising, as BBC is one of three broadcasters in Europe that does not rely on advertising to supplement the licence fee. If the BBC was to generate its entire income from advertising without the other commercial broadcasters losing out from this advertising revenue, the total TV ad market in the UK would need to grow by 86%, which is very unrealistic. So not something that could replace the license fee. The second model is a subscription-based model, so similar to Netflix, for example. So I've looked into a few price points and subscriber figures that the BBC would need in order to replace their revenue by a subscription revenue. So if the BBC was to attract as many subscribers as Netflix in the UK, which we estimate at as 11.3 million subscribers, it would need to charge each of those subscribers £32.90 per month in order to generate its current revenue, which is extremely unrealistic as it's expensive, priced at over three times more than Netflix's standard monthly plan. So again, not a viable option. So where does that leave the possible funding models for the BBC? So it seems that advertising is almost certainly out. The increase in the ad market would have to be too significant. Subscription looks unfeasible. Um, What are the remaining models that the BBC could rely on? The next is a levy on internet service providers. So service providers pay an additional fee as the thought that they indirectly benefit from content production as it drives consumers online. While it would be possible to replace the licence fee with this, such levy would have to be priced at £138 per year per broadband contract, which puts a burden on these internet service providers in terms of development. And the final funding mechanism is income tax. So 
if the license fee was replaced through an income tax, every full-time employed individual would be required to be taxed £116 on average per year. So this is a more progressive solution and we've already seen models like this come into play in Croatia, Finland and Sweden. However, although it's an attractive option, it would mean that the average working household may pay more than the current licence fee right now. So that's um, that's been very interesting. Thanks, Hannah. So what, one thing I wanted to touch on, though, was the, I guess, some of the politics behind the review of the licence fee um, decriminalisation. So last year, the BBC came under quite a lot of fire from arguably both sides of the political divide in the UK, both as a result of Brexit coverage and in the run-up to the um, UK general election at the end of the year. Do you think that the arguments have changed at all, given the events of the last month or two? Is the BBC being perceived in a different light by perhaps previous critics? I think given the current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic, it has become clear how important the BBC is for the UK public. Um, as Fred touched on earlier, it's been ramping up its commissioning slate. Uh, we've seen, you know, obviously the updates on the current situation by the Prime Minister and health specialists. But there's also advice clinics on the radio, um, specialised children's content, so educational programmes, BBC Bite Size Online, and also child-friendly news updates as well. And then BBC have also increased the number of box sets on iPlayer to help entertain those stuck at home at the moment. So I think it may change the perception for people who didn't believe that they needed the BBC or maybe didn't watch the BBC um, as much. I think it will be clear that it's something that we we can't lose right now. Perfect. So thank you very much, Hannah. That's uh, been fascinating. Um, well, thank you all for listening. That's the end of this week's AMP podcast. We'll be back next week with a new edition, looking at some of the latest trends, facts and figures around the media market. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm.